Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by the faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Christoph van Houten and today I am joined by my lovely colleague and one of Picked's founders, Evrim Emir Seyers. Hello Evrim and welcome. Hi Christoph, it's nice to hear your voice. Thank you. As you are well aware, Evrim, at Picked Voices, we have talked about a manifold of facets that have been affected by today's COVID-19 pandemic. One aspect we haven't, however, touched upon yet, notwithstanding it being Picked's primary and most important goal, is higher education. And who better to talk to about higher education than you, the delightful evil mind behind Picked? Now, one obvious First question I want to ask you regards your thoughts on higher education in this time of the pandemic. So could you elaborate that a little bit, please? I will try. Okay. Uh, rather than creating uh, new problems for higher education or for education in general, I believe that the pandemic has actually helped us to unconceal a host of structural issues that were already defining and shaping higher education for a long time. For instance, the degeneration of many schools and universities into mere diploma factories, where both school and the student know that it's not really about the education, but the piece of paper you get at the end. The pandemic has made this trend very clear. In many countries, uh, including ones whose education systems are highly respected, grades were simply invented in order to issue diplomas to students who weren't able to receive the required education. Again, with the shift to online teaching, we need to understand this is not something new or done unwillingly by universities in response to the pandemic. A year before the pandemic, uh, I was a part of a dinner with the Vice Chancellor of Cambridge University, where he openly talked about his fundraising efforts to increase online teaching capacities. Universities have already been trying for a long time to institutionalize this cheapened, soulless, dumped-down substitute for real education. The pandemic merely gave them a chance to speed up the process and to do so without looking like the bad guys along the way. <laughs> Online teaching can never substitute for an in-person learning experience. Imagine buying an opera ticket only to be told that, sorry, you have to watch the performance on TV for the same price. It's even worse than that because in-person classes are interactive and bonding experiences, with the energy flow between all participants enabling a critical and creative community. The fact that most universities manage to switch to online teaching quite easily only shows that their in-person education was already a far cry from the ideal I just spoke about. Overcrowded classrooms, dumped-down survey courses, underpaid adjunct faculty, and many other factors sadly meant that the quality drop from in-person to online really wasn't that great, but not because the latter is so good, but because the former was already so bad. <laughs> Live-recorded or pre-recorded courses are just the icing on the cake. Any critical and creative agency is eliminated and teaching methods and content are standardized. Education flatlines at the lowest common denominator. Teachers and students become completely replaceable, 
Humans are reduced to mere instruments of a self-perpetuating teaching machine. And the hypocritical culture of self-censorship becomes practically assured. No instructor or student with half a brain would freely express themselves if what they say is indefinitely stored and could eventually be used against them. Yeah, I wouldn't. So, uh, very interesting what you say about your dinner at Cambridge Evrim here. And it, I think it's not only the online platform that has become the new frontier of education. I think one more aspect needs to be stressed, I think. And again, this pandemic has proven the perfect opportunity to guide universities in that direction. And I'm hinting here at a new or better a renewed, the renewed handbrake that is put on the critical and more intellectual branches of university. And then on the contrary, the extra push that is given to professional training. Fees for humanities, for example, have doubled, whereas fees for studying the medical profession or for training of nurses, they have been slashed. Basically, if I would phrase my remarks into a question, what do you think is the new ideal consumer of the educational market today? Contemporary universities have essentially rebranded themselves as vocational training centers. They claim to supply students with highly specific skill sets that prepare them for the job market they will enter upon graduation. In order to back up this claim, every course, every piece of instruction that is offered at a university has to be directly measurable for some kind of practical usefulness. This is why we see the obsession with so-called learning outcomes that can be found on nearly every syllabus these days. While this approach makes sense on a superficial and short-term level, it is extremely flawed and dangerous from a deeper and long-term perspective. Even just in terms of employment, you are equipping people with short-term skills that in most cases come with a clear expiry date instead of giving them the mental and philosophical agility that they need to stay on their feet in a volatile job market. Hence, the steadily rising numbers of people who are not just unemployed, but classified as unemployable because they lack the skills of critical and creative thinking that would enable them to reorient themselves once their vocational skill set has become obsolete. But beyond this short-sightedness, uh, you are in fact producing generations that praise quantity over quality and execution over innovation. If something can't be measured, by definition, it has no value. But the thing about critical thinking, creativity and other authentically human attributes is that they cannot be measured. I believe this is also what Ian Benson was trying to say in your picked interview with him when he stressed the distinction between values and virtues. Mm. If we can only think in terms of quantity, then quality will necessarily fall by the wayside in our products as well as our way of life. The other thing is that we are educating people who are good at executing highly specialized processes or even just parts of these processes, while not thinking twice about whether these processes should exist in the first place, why they exist, and whom and what they serve, and whether we wouldn't in fact be better off without them, or with completely different ones. We are producing implementers, not questioners. And that's not even the end of it, I'm afraid, uh, because if you look at university prospectuses, they don't even talk so much about specific skills. 
They talk more about employment statistics. As I said earlier, I believe that today's universities, but also many schools leading up to universities, are essentially diploma factories. I'm not saying anything new or original here, by the way. Ivan Illich already said it in the, in the 70s that modern diplomas are like indulgences in the Middle Ages, <laughs> paid entry tickets to the afterlife and the job market respectively. But as time goes by, people realize that they are buying lottery tickets rather than entry tickets, with little chance of producing the desired result. People see this not because they can predict the future, but because the vendors are trying to sell them more and more tickets at steeper and steeper prices. Common sense tells us that something must be wrong if I'm asked to get more and more certifications to obtain a goal that's farther and farther out of reach. To the education industry, this is just a sales tactic. But it's actually deeply corrosive on a social and moral level. It creates a cynical and transactional attitude on the part of whole societies when it comes to a matter as crucial as education. Why should anyone take seriously anything that education is supposed to represent? Critical thinking, creativity, the cultivation of character, when everybody knows they're just window dressing for the transaction of diploma for money. And when all of these virtues are subordinated to this transactionality, what do you think uh, seems more important to people in the long run? Well, yes, P please do answer this question, <laughs> as they seem to bring us to probably the best, the basis of the problem of today's education. Uh, the problem with higher education is not just the, uh, not just this mercenary attitude happens to produce people with short-term skills a quantitative mindset and transactional ethics. If that were the case, we could at least say that, well, they want to make money and the negative results are just unintentional side effects of that desire. But sadly, the problem is deeper than this. The issue here is not higher education per se, but the entirety of mass education and the very concept of mass education. Uh, it's a paradox to expect a mass education system to produce people who think differently. Mm. In fact, the very goal of mass education is to enshrine the average. National education systems explicitly aim at producing people with standardized knowledge, skills, opinions, and values. So these people can go on to reliably fill prescripted roles as citizens and employees. The extraordinary, the spontaneous, the unpredictable, the unprecedented are discouraged among teachers and students alike. And we see the effect of this during this pandemic once again. Indeed. As far as teachers are concerned, I can safely say that some of the biggest nobodies I've ever met have been among my colleagues on university campuses. People who wouldn't be able to command even a bit of authority or interest as regular persons are put in classrooms where students are forced to listen to them merely because they have power over grades and serve as the embodiment of some institution. With students, uh, the fostering of the average often takes a different road Students are cuddled, their opinions are overvalued, their egos inflated, 
instead of being exposed to rigorous criticism and debate. I remember a course on Tolstoy's War and Peace I audited at Princeton University, supposedly one of the best institutions in the world. In a small round, the instructor asked for thoughts on the novel and its ending. Contributions ranged from the inane, such as, I didn't like the Natasha character, <laughs> to the baffling, such as, I think he should have left out the second epilogue. <laughs> But the most astonishing thing was that for the instructor, all of these were amazing, fantastic ideas. There was no effort at all to critically dissect the students' words, and instead they were left with an inflated sense of ego. This is perhaps the most insidious way in which to foster the average, by making everyone believe that they are a genius. With the biggest genius in front, obviously. <laughs> But why would you want to create an educational system that gives you an average product rather than an excellent one? Because the goal of the system is not brilliance, but submission. At school, you learn to submit to absolute authority. Firstly, schools enshrine the absolute authority of superiors over inferiors. In the classroom, teachers are the legislative, the judiciary, and the executive all in one. Secondly, schools enshrine the absolute authority of the institution over the human, the teacher herself, only has authority to the extent that she represents an institution. Without that institution, she is nothing. At the University of Vienna, where my husband served as visiting professor, the word professor is written on office doors twice the size as the name of the actual individual who works inside. <laughs> And finally, schools enshrine the absolute authority of a predetermined process over critical and creative thinking. Anything you learn organically without the rubber stamp of authorized process is worthless in this system. Even worse, the school curriculum serves as a model for adult life. Solve preset tasks, score the required amount of points, level up, repeat the process. Make money, buy a car. Make more money, buy a house. Find a job, get married, get a promotion, have children, work sufficiently, then retire. It's all just a simple repetition of studying, passing exams, getting good marks, and advancing to the next grade. School produces individuals who actually believe that's how life works. One last <laughs> point is that schools create and enshrine systems of caste. It starts with the ageism at school where each age group is separated into its own ranked caste. Beyond that, we have the castes of people with no diploma, those with one, those with two, and so on. And on a global scale, we have the castes of nations with so-called better and worse education systems. Who determines what is a good education system? Obviously, those with the power to set the standards. <laughs> and who will always lag behind in such a system, no matter how hard they try to catch up? Of course, those who feel they are so powerless that they must follow the standards set by others. Mm. Now, obviously, I picked. We have decided to do things rather differently. Could you say something more about this for our listeners, please? And 
because after the parse destruents, obviously comes the parse constraints, no? Um, as I said before, uh, I don't think Picht's critique of mass education is anything new. Nietzsche gave his lectures on anti-education in Basel, your hometown, Christoph, in 1872. Ivan Illich wrote The Schooling Society in 1971. And our own Jonathan Ray, at his recent Picked Honorary Lecture, told us that the essence of philosophy has always been the questioning of authority. But while what we are doing may not be new, that doesn't mean it isn't risky. Because the model that we use at Picked goes not only against mass schooling, but against the entire social and political order based on mass schooling. Firstly, Picked completely rejects notions such as the education sector, the education industry, or the education marketplace. Picked is a non-profit institution run entirely by volunteers. And we defend that education must be viewed as a non-profit endeavor, period. Of course, instructors must receive fair compensation, but an educational institution whose goal is financial profit simply isn't an educational institution anymore. Teaching, learning, and education must happen for their own sake. Some may call this attitude naive, but once you embrace it, you notice that it makes you remarkably free. Free from always looking for the next budget cut, free from trying to avoid offending someone who may take away your funding. You may not necessarily have a lot of financial leeway, but financial leeway tends to come at the cost of other kinds of leeway. What kind of courses you can offer, the minimum amount of people you need to have in a class, and so on. And that's the kind of leeway, the kind of independence that we have at PICT. Secondly, we understand PICT as an anti-institution. The more institutionalized you get, the more hierarchical you become. Instead of building an institution, we want to build a milieu, in the old-fashioned Parisian sense of learners and intellectuals coming together in a loose, organic circle that completely depends upon everyone's volition and motivation. Again, Illich puts it best when he says that for education to take place, one should ideally just provide a simple setting for encounters which are both autonomous and anarchic, focused yet unplanned and ebullient. This is the kind of setting we hope to have created with PICT. Thirdly, PICT has a focus on the humanities. To us, the humanities are the natural home for critical and creative thinking. This is because disciplines like philosophy, literature and the arts are unquantifiable and provide the basis for open-ended debate and creative exploration. Of course, it's exactly because they are unquantifiable that these disciplines are being sidelined at universities. To the quantitative mindset, they are valueless. To us, they are invaluable. A focus on the humanities also means a focus on the human. We focus on the humanity of the learner. Our courses have no age limits or other prerequisites, and we offer no diplomas or credentials. 
This way, whoever takes our courses is simply an interested and self-motivated human being without any ulterior motive for joining us. We focus on the humanity of the instructor. When we interview someone who wants to teach for PICT, our key question is, if you could teach anything you wanted, anything at all, what would that be? Then if we see that spark in their eyes, a spark of passion that goes beyond a mere expertise, we tell them to teach that course. This means that each of our instructors is an irreplaceable human being. And we focus on the humanity of the encounter between learners and instructors. Our class sizes are small, capped at maximum 10 participants, and we categorically reject online teaching. Our goal is for a real critical and creative community to emerge, a community in which rote learning is replaced by the formulation and development of thought and argument in real time. And the pandemic has shown us that our approach is better, not just for mental health, uh, but also for physical health. At a time when large institutions are struggling to maintain their profitable mass courses in person, our human-sized, face-to-face courses that picked continue to take place without a problem, except, of course, when the whole population is locked down. I have heard so many comments of people who are teaching online that they really don't like it, that they see and that they feel that their students are not getting anything or very little out of it. So I can only agree with that. Now, you mentioned, Evrim, that instructors should be compensated fairly. At the same time, you talk about picked courses being accessible, but accessibility is not just a question of prerequisites, but also one of a price. At a non-profit institution such as PICT, how do you solve the dilemma of making sure that instructors are paid a fair amount, but on the other hand, uh, that courses are not too expensive for most people to take them? I'm glad you asked that question, Christoph, uh, because a lot of our critical thinking at PICT goes into how we can give our instructors the pay they deserve while also making our courses affordable by everybody. We are constantly brainstorming about how best to make this happen, and we have a new idea that will completely change our current financial model in the near future. Right now, each course participant pays an enrollment fee, and we pass on the majority of each fee to the course instructor. The great thing about this model is that even with just two or three participants, an instructor can get paid as much per course as an adjunct at a university. And of course, most adjuncts can't even dream of teaching such a bespoke course to such a small group. Thanks to this model, we've been able to organize dozens of courses, workshops and public events in our first two years. But to be honest, this model isn't radical enough for us. (laughs) It's still too transactional. We aren't a marketplace of course vendors and customers. We are a community. I recently did a podcast with Anton Bonigi, the director of the Paris Fringe Theatre Festival. We discussed how, in response to COVID-19, theatre companies need to create not audiences, but communities. And they need to give every member an active stake in helping the community survive and thrive. And this is exactly what PICT is about. As I said earlier, everyone on the staff of PICT is a volunteer, including myself. We are not here for the money. The kind of talent and dedication we have at PICT couldn't be both for money. 
We are here because we want PIC to exist, because we want a public platform for critical and creative thinking, and because personally it gives us meaning and satisfaction to be involved with something that doesn't exist for power or profit. That's why we devote our time and energy to PICT, and that's what makes us a community. What we want to do next, Christoph, is take this community global to give everyone the chance to directly support a new revolutionary model of education. So here is the new model. We are going to get rid of enrollment fees altogether. Everything at PICT will be absolutely free for all members of our community. That includes courses, workshops, ateliers, walking tours, and all other activities for which we've been charging fees until now. But to make this work, we need to help of the global PICT community. If you support our vision, you'll go to the PICT website and become a member. You will pay a membership fee, but you'll decide how much, starting from a very affordable minimum. And once you are a PICT member, everything get picked will become free for you as for all other members. To get this model going, we need a minimum amount of members, so until we reach that minimum, we'll continue as before. But once we reach the required number, we'll be able to go free. Of course, that doesn't mean we are suddenly switching to mass education. We are not going to be teaching thousands of people at the same time. Universities are already doing that, and they are doing it badly enough. No, uh, we remain fully committed to only opening a select amount of courses, all in person, with very small group sizes. This is the model you'll be sp supporting, not endless free courses for everyone. But if you can't take a picked course in person, there will be other ways for you to participate in the community. We are evolving our website into a member platform where all mem members will have their own accounts. You will be able to interact with each other, with our instructors, with discussion groups on specific courses and topics. And you will have access to exclusive picked content, such as the upcoming picked journal, videos of our public lectures and podcasts. You won't just be supporting us financially, you'll be an active part of a community that wouldn't exist without your contribution. With your help, we can make PICT a global educational community, an independent grassroots community that doesn't need state or corporate backing. A resilient community that is self-sustaining both financially and intellectually. An anarchic community that rejects bureaucracy and hierarchy. All of us who work at PICT believe in creating such a community. And if we believe in the same thing, nothing would make us happier than to welcome you as a member of PICT. Well, thanks for this, Evrim. This has been a highly fascinating talk and I can't wait for the new platform of PICT to start. Thank you, Christophe, for all the questions. So thanks also to all of you who have joined me again. My name is Christoph van Houten, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Pick Voices as much as I did. Thank you, Evrim, once again, and hope to hear and see you all very soon.